Sorry, man. I think I cut out for a second there. Yeah. Yeah, I was just on a Zoom call, and I, I had pretty good connection for you at all. But uh, at any point, like, I'm, I'm freezing or whatever, just let me know, and I can tether to my phone. That's usually a little bit better. Well, yeah, no problem. But, yeah, I'll just be writing stuff down all in all. Uh, I think we can get into it. I'm just going to dive into your life, man, and ask you some questions. Cool. Let's do it. Cool. So I'm here with uh, Tyler. Uh, I don't want to butcher your last name, man. Is it Palabuski? Palabuski. <laughs> Tyler Palabiski, he's a realtor um, out here in Canada. I'll let him kind of elaborate more on that. So if you just wanted to give us a, you know, a brief, a brief rundown of where you're from and kind of the situation you were in growing up so we can kind of dive more into it. For sure. Um, so yeah, as you said, I'm Canadian. I'm from uh, uh, not not such a small town anymore, but uh, from Kitchener. So we're about an hour outside Toronto there. Uh, born and raised there. And I uh, now currently reside in Cambridge, which is pretty much attached to Kitchener at this point. Um, so I've been, been in that region for my entire life. I'm about 30 years old now. Um, and I've been a real estate agent since I was 22, 23, and around there. 23, I think. Yeah. I think I started my courses when I was 22. So cool. I mean, growing up in uh Kitchener, Cambridge area, I mean, that's a pretty big area for like hockey and stuff. Did you play any sports growing up? Yeah, I played hockey. Uh got into hockey really young, got into snowboarding, um, kind of started started drifting towards like the more um I don't like the word extreme, but extreme sports. So I got into rock climbing and uh snowboarding oh, quite heavily and uh and now I'm trying to pick up surfing. So, yeah, man. I mean, uh, surfing out there in Costa Rica. <laughs> we'll get into that, but um, rock climbing yeah. as well. So, have you like actually been practicing on some pretty some pretty high climbs? Yeah. Um. So for me, it's not so much like the height of the climb that I'm looking for, more so like the difficulty. Um. And yeah, I started in gyms. Uh, Guelph, uh, Kitchener used to have a gym. Um, it closed down kind of shortly after I got into the climbing scene. And so we were going to Guelph for like three, four times a week, uh, just to climb in the gyms, met a bunch of climbers there that were heavy into the outdoor scene. Um, so I was able to kind of get outdoors in around Ontario. We have quite a few climbing spots. And, uh, since then I've been to Greece, uh, all, all over Mexico, all over the States, uh, rock climbing. So it's been fun. Holy man. Yeah. I've seen some videos of people climbing some pretty scary, to scary heights and like they have like no harness or anything and they're sleeping up there they're, they literally like make yeah. a whole bed on the edge of a cliff and start sleeping there is that something yeah, you ever so like I, consider <laughs> uh, i've done it i've done it a couple times in uh, in greece and it's more so like you do it just as a uh it's kind of more scenic um you, you can definitely push your your difficulty range up on the on the big walls um i definitely don't do anything without a harness or rope though that's uh it's called free solo and that's uh, a little bit crazy yeah i mean i think that <laughs> would fit the <laughs> yeah that would fit the definition of extreme to me but so you've yeah. actually like spent uh spent a night on a on a wall on a I, i've never spent a night on one um but we've done some of those large multi-pitch routes where um you know it, it takes you six seven eight rope lengths in order to get up the wall and um some of those will take you 12, 14 hours type thing. So, um, but no, I've never slept on the side of a wall. <laughs> Have you, even though you're, um, 
you're you always got a harness attached to you and all i'm sure you've had some like pretty scary moments where maybe you just like forget you're attached to something and like you're safe overall or maybe not there, yeah climbing climbing is definitely like 50 percent physical and 50 percent mental um we, we call it head game and uh if you if you lose your head game it, it's tough to get it back where you're kind of more focused on your surroundings and and how high you are and how thin the rope is and stuff like that and when when you're focusing on all that stuff you can't really climb to your potential whereas when you're in a good head game and you're kind of in the moment and you're just focused on that climb that's that's really what you strive for and you you're not really aware of you know your surroundings your exposure how high you are you're just kind of in that zen zen moment on the wall and that's what that's what you look for and as long as you're climbing often you, you you can pretty much stay in that head game but yeah, and I'm sure you have tons of adrenaline flowing through you when you're climbing as well, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's a good workout. Tons of adrenaline. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. They're some of the best days. So cool. Yeah. So you know, you were you've been an athlete for quite some time. Then you could say, in high school, what were you like? Kind of focusing in on? Were you more focused on the studies, or were you trying to like pursue, you know, something else at that time? Definitely wasn't focused on the studies. <laughs> high school high school was a, a social experiment for me i made a lot of friends met a lot of uh really good friends we made a as a family we made a move right before high school so i went to a high school where i didn't know a lot of the people um so it was a good opportunity for me to get out there meet some new people and whatnot um played played football and hockey in high school but mainly just focused on social gatherings and climbing so cool. So did you, did you take in any, uh, post studies after high school? Yeah, I went to, um, we have a school in Waterloo called Wilfrid Laurier. Um, there's also university of Waterloo right in there too. Um, I did a program in archeology span there for two and a half, three years, uh, and ended up dropping out, uh, just the career options after you do archaeology aren't aren't the greatest, so I was just like, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed it. I love history, love love being out in nature, love archaeology. It just wasn't going to take me anywhere in life, so I ended up uh, dropping out and uh, pursuing uh, restaurant industry for a little while. Cool. And um, was that something you kind of found out after the fact that you kind of graduated? You realized you couldn't, or you dropped out, but you couldn't really do anything with the archaeo type degree no it was kind of like like i didn't know it going into it um it was more so like i just wanted to take a program that i was generally interested in and that very much was like i very much enjoyed going to classes and, and studying and reading and and i still do i still love kind of looking into history or reading history history books um it just as as you learn more about that career and stuff you basically you're you're either you know, you're digging for pushing a wheelbarrow for the rest of your life, or you're, uh, you're getting into a professor role at a university. Um, and neither of them are what I wanted to do. So. Yeah. Okay. So by the time you leave that, you, you said you just entered the, the restaurant industry. Yeah. So, um, started serving and, and kind of working my way up within restaurants. And I always thought that was kind of the direction I was going to go in life. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Loved like the kind of the family, the team atmosphere of restaurants. I loved, um, 
you know, having, having a drink with some of the other servers afterwards, after a long shift, you kind of just went through the trenches together and, and you get to sit down afterwards and have a drink. Like it, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I always thought, you know, I'd continue working my way up restaurants, become a um, supervisor, general manager, maybe opening up a place someday. Um, and uh, one of the servers I met there, uh, Nathan, he actually, he was serving and he got into real estate. And I remember coming in one day and he's like, dude, I just put in my two weeks. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like already? And he's like, yeah, like real estate's, you know, it's flying. I was like, oh, whoa. And it, it kind of took me by surprise. And that, that was that seed that kind of got me into researching a little bit more about real estate. And um, I had another buddy then jump into real estate and I remember going to one of his open houses. I don't think a single person came, but <laughs> it was... Uh, that from then I started my courses and never looked back. Wow, man. It's, it's, uh, it was nice to hear you talk on working in a restaurant like that, because that's something maybe a lot of people actually would dread, you know, being a server, I've never been one, but I imagine that's a pretty hard task to do and always have your head on kind of straight and kind of put on a smile for like clients and stuff. But that's something you actually seem to enjoy. There's a lot of life skills that come out of serving and, and the hospitality industry in general. And uh, my, my fiance grew up in the hospitality industry as well. And one thing her and I always say is like, when, when we have kids, it's like, it's going to be mandatory that they work in a restaurant at some point. Um, I don't know how we're going to enforce that, but uh, you, you learn a lot of really good life skills. And I think you also learn a lot of skills that translate over to real estate as well right? You're used to giving up your evenings and your weekends in the restaurant industry. And that's exactly what real estate is, is you're giving up those evenings and weekends. So for sure. So you ultimately first got a spark of interest in real estate because, you know, your, your buddies at the restaurant, uh, he left, you got, and got introduced to the idea, went to the open house, you got the courses. How long did it kind of take you to complete the courses and get licensed? I think I did the courses in 10, 10 months. Um, it was a little bit different back then too. Uh, we had to do, um, I, I don't know how international your audience is or if it's mainly Canadians, but at that point there was six courses in total that you had to do, but you only had to do three of them in order to actually start selling real estate. And then the other three you had to complete over a two week period or a two year period. Um, now I believe you have to complete five courses and complete one over a two year period. Um, not a hundred percent certain on that, but for me to get started, completed the three courses, I was working during that period of time as well. So I kind of took my time with it. Um, and then, uh, jumped, kind of jumped in. <laughs> yeah. What was it like when you first got in? Cause I mean, everyone knows, uh, well, not everyone knows people kind of may think it's a walk in the park being a realtor, but, uh, realtors know that it's definitely not easy. And you know, the fail rate for new realtors is so high. What was it like when you first got your first couple of steps into the business? Yeah, it was not what I expected at all. <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I got my ass kicked for the first few few uh, months, first uh, probably half a year, actually. Um, that buddy that I did the open house with, he was at the open house. He was practicing. What are you doing? Like, you just sound like a robot. Like I would, like you sound so sad like it, it sounded horrible to me but really it was like a limiting belief where where those scripts yeah in the beginning when you're practicing them it sounds very robotic and very kind of salesy but the more you practice them the more natural it's going to start to sound and you're going to put your own little kind of spin on it with how you talk and and 
they they end up helping you out a lot. Uh, the other thing I didn't realize is I thought, you know, you put a couple ads out on Instagram or all my friends and family are going to use me. Uh, I just got to call them and tell them that I'm a real, real estate agent and, you know, business is just going to kind of come to me. Um, yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was, what, what was pushing you at that time? You know, you're a young man, early twenties, you know, you're taking on a big, uh, big role being a realtor. People may not be taking you seriously and stuff. What's kind of like pushing you to kind of maybe not prove anybody wrong, but yourself and show that you can really, you know, be successful in this career. Yeah. So for the first thing, uh, that I really had to wrap my head around and focus on was schedule. Um, I find like you, you get into real estate and you think, you know, you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to make your own hours and it all sounds very good. But at the end of the day, you have to treat it like a job. Um, so for me, the first big step was just making sure I showed up at the office. Um, I worked for, I joined Keller Williams in, um, in Kitchener Waterloo there. Um, they had a really positive office atmosphere. Um, so I found just me showing up, I was, I was able to listen to more season agents, kind of see what they were doing, ask questions and, and then get motivated to work myself. Um, and so, so moving into a scheduled kind of system like that was the first big hurdle. And I, I think something that, uh, that, um, it, it was a really big pillar, um, that led to a lot of success, I think. And, and even to this day, if I'm not, when, when I'm in Canada, if I'm not in the office by 8.30, I just, I feel like my whole day is being thrown off. So I try to get in early and I'm in office every day until at least noon. So for sure. And scheduling is kind of something that's so simple, but it's, it's really hard to actually just, you know, write things down and stick to them day by day. You know, some people like to um, try and remember what they have to do mentally and then they end up forgetting it, but others tend to write stuff down and really follow that day by day were you more of like a vision board type were you writing this stuff down to like know what you had to do day by day yeah uh google calendar is my uh is how i survive <laughs> <laughs> what? and uh very early kelly williams always had a right so you schedule you schedule your important stuff and then you you can work the unimportant stuff around that and um it's something that, that you're always learning, right? Like I created a new calendar for myself uh, mid last year. Cause I, I just, I found like I wasn't happy. I, I wasn't finding the time to do the things I enjoyed. Um, and so I kind of sat down, deleted everything from a seven day calendar. And I was like, okay, what does my ideal calendar look like? Now I have these time blocks for appointments for um, date night with my fiance for lead generation and lead follow up that, if, if I go to book something in and it doesn't fit within that time block, I'm trying to find a new time for it. So, yeah, it kind of feels like a big dedication that you really have to like submit to and force yourself to do yeah. every day until you really actually start to see the benefits and get into the habit. Otherwise you're just going to kind of give up on it and it's not going to serve you any benefit. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a certain amount of freedom that comes with it too, right? Like it, it makes saying yes to things and noticing simple right? Sorry, it doesn't fit in my calendar at that point, at that time, right? Is there a time where we could reschedule it between this time and that time? So there's, there's a certain level of freedom that comes to it. Um, but I think that's probably in the top three most important things for probably any sort of entrepreneurship is your schedule. So 
For sure. So before you got your, your kind of schedule straight and started figuring out what you need to do to kind of take the first steps on to how to be successful in this business, you kind of mentioned you got your ass kicked for maybe like the first six months or so. Were you ever starting to lose faith in yourself or, you know, maybe have thoughts where, you know, maybe this isn't for me, kind of negative thoughts that maybe lead you, might lead you out of the business? Not, not so much. Um, and I, I think mainly because I, I, at that point, I wasn't looking at real estate as a career. I still, you know, was in my mind where I don't know what I want to do yet. It was just the next thing that I was trying out. Um, and so there wasn't really a point that I got too discouraged with it. Um, and probably four, four to six months in, I joined a, a, a course. Um, one of my team leaders actually said, you know, if you, you can commit to going, it was every Tuesdays from eight to 5 PM or something like that. If you can commit to going for the eight weeks, I will, I will cover it for you. And then you can pay it back from the commissions you, you start to earn. And uh, again, that was one of those decisions where I said yes to that. And it, that that's where my mindset really changed from, you know, a lead receiving business to a lead generating business. And, and, going out there and pounding payment and, and finding the business. So. Cool. cool. I like how you mentioned that, you know, you're still very self-aware that this is, you're still experimenting in life and, you know, real estate was just the next thing you were trying out because a lot of times, you know, younger people may think this is the end all be all, you know, once they get a degree or something, get indulged in something, you know, maybe they don't want to take the time and change, but it seems like if that came to the case if that came to be the case for you, you know, you were ready to take, you know, the next step onto the next thing. Is there anything you could like maybe say to someone that's, you know, maybe stuck and considering, you know, changing or something of that nature? Yeah. Well, I, I'll use my fiance as an example. She's changed her career maybe four or five times in the last, um, last few years. And, and my conversation with her is, is always just don't settle until you find something you're happy with. Um, and there, there's a bunch of different careers that she thought she wanted to get into prior to, and then you get into. All right, we're back. I think. Oh, sorry. Did I cut out there? Yeah. Sorry. You just cut out, uh, your fiance switched careers multiple times. Then you kind of respect expressing what you say to her. Yeah. So, so my, my communication with her is always, you know, don't settle until you find something you're happy. Uh, a lot of careers or job opportunities that, you know, they look one way to the client, like facing the client and then are a completely different way on the back end. And you don't know that until you start working it. So I think, yeah, I'll always keep an open mind and, and real estate, it, it looks sexy on the outside, but on the back end, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a sales job. There's a lot of uncomfortable moments. There's a lot of um, no's. So it's a, it's a tough job. For sure. And you, you then mentioned that you went on to, um, you did that course. And then if you got through the whole eight weeks, you know, it was paid back through your commissions. Did that, um, did that person who ran that course play any type of mentor role on you? Uh, like beyond the course? So it, it was a course made, uh, it was the course set up through Kelly Williams. So it was the international course and they basically, you know, they run one in, in Toronto, then they run one in Arizona and they're kind of bouncing all over the place. 
Um, so the, the guy that actually taught the course didn't really become a mentor. He did teach me a ton. Um, I ended up doing that course two more times over the years too. And each time was a different, uh, different, uh, trainer. Um, but the, the team leader that ended up doing that, like he was a big, big mentor of mine for, for a little while. And, and through that course, I actually met the, um, the, uh, the team leader that I still work for today and, and, you know, six years now. So cool. So, um, six months go by, when do you start seeing like kind of, you know, your first kind of traction in the business? Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume, you know, you're doing all the prospecting, cold calling, maybe door knocking stuff of that nature Did eventually, you know, after time, it just started to snowball and you started to, you know, get some results from all the previous work. Yeah. Started showing up pretty quickly. Um, so in that six months, I think I did three transactions. Um, one of which was my dad and, uh, and then a couple friends, um, so, so I had like small bits of success over that. And then when I got into like the lead generation and whatnot, it, it really started to snowball and pick up. Um, we, uh, we, there's like two other guys that started around the same time as myself. And we actually, there was um, an old system called Mojo Dialer and you'd put in call three different numbers. First person to pick up, it would connect you to them. And then the other two people would leave a voicemail. And so we were just pounding through contacts, just trying to circle prospect neighborhood. You know, if they were thinking of selling in 18 months, we were writing them down and trying to follow up with them. So, And is this something you're um, devoting yourself to daily? <clears throat> at the time, yeah, Monday, Monday to Friday. I don't do so much of the lead generation at this point. Um, it's more lead follow-up. Like we have a database of 18,000 people at this point. Some of the newer agents that in the brokerage, um, a lot of them are doing some lead generation to try to add to their database and build up their database as well. So, For sure. How long did it kind of take you to get to the point where, you know, you didn't have to devote as much time as you <clears throat> normally were uh, in terms of prospecting? Uh, so we, we were trying to build up the habit of, you know, prospecting from 8.30 or 9 a.m. until noon every single day. Um, and that, that's, the, that's the time block that we're in office and we're, we're plugged in and we're, um, we would, every Thursday we would do, um, they call it a bold 100. It's from that course. And the goal is throughout the day, you try to talk to 100 people about real estate. And so usually every Thursday we were doing that. Um, and uh, it kind of built up very quickly. And to this day between nine and like 1130, uh, we do, we're all on the phones talking to people. So Damn, a hundred people Contact every day. There. That doesn't, that doesn't sound easy. You were usually in office 10 to 12 hours, just dialing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it may take you, uh, you know, 10 calls, 20 calls, just to have like one good conversation though. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah those were usually the numbers. It's like 20 to 28 dials would get you like one or two contacts. So that, that's where like the system, like the Mojo dialer really came in handy too. Right. You can kind of, as long as you put the time in, um, you, you'll get there. So. Yeah, for sure. Putting the time in. 
is that, um, you know, I think you'd agree that that's mostly the simple, the simplest reason on why the failure rate is so high in real estate. People have to really put the time into those, those practices and stuff that they may not feel like doing, but like you were doing in your younger days, still doing, you know, you're on the phone hours in the morning. Is that something that, you know, realtors really need to be very aware of before they even step foot in the business because a lot of time, you know, I'm sure you can relate in the first, you know, month you got your license that, you know, people step into this business and are lost from the get-go. So do you think there's like a lack of knowledge and, you know, just the direction realtors have to go through to get to where say you are now? Yeah, it's, it's a contact sport. Um, I always tell my agents that, uh, that if agent A is talking to five people a day about real estate and agent B is talking to 20 people about real estate every day, who's going to do more business at the end of the year? Right. Agent B. Right. So what's great about that though, is like you're in control of your income. If you want to do 50, 80 transactions a year, you just talk to more people. Right. If you want to do 12 transactions a year, talk to less people. But putting, putting like a social media post out saying, hey, DM me if uh, you want to know the value of your home, it's not going to work. You have to physically, you have to reach out to the people. And we, we have a few more ways. Like you can do that via text. You can do that via Instagram. But the best, still the best way is to talk to someone on the phone. Right? And we usually, for our new agents, we start with your sphere of influence. So your friends, your family. Um, if you grab a coffee every morning at the, coffee shop, your barista, right? Anybody that's in that sphere, talk to them first, right? You already know them. You already have some sort of contact information with, for them most of, most of the time. Um, if I know what their real estate related plans are for the, the, uh, the rest of the year or the upcoming year, right? Start to talk to them and, uh, and then keep talking to them. So. For sure. And um, even just today, you know, times have changed. That's not the only way you can put yourself out there. And you mentioned Instagram and, you know, social media has revolutionized every, every single industry and how a realtor uses it is kind of very important. Obviously you, you can have realtors not use social media and still, you know, be successful and stuff, but that can really um, expedite how fast you really get there. So how important is it, would you say for realtors, you know, to start um, producing content and, you know, showing their personal life on social media, like I saw that you do, but you also have the real estate side to you as well. Yeah. So I don't, I don't use Instagram as a lead generating business. Um, it's, it's more of a, a resume to me. Um, and then also a marketing place for my properties. Um, for me, it's like, if, if I put, if I put a post out there trying to, you know, fish for some leads or something like that, um, I'm leaving that chance if someone reaches out to me or not. So for me, the way I look at it is I want, I want to add as many people as I can. I want to support them and try to add value to their Instagrams and their businesses if they have them. And, uh, but then also be able to kind of market my properties and, and show that, Hey, I'm in real estate. Right. But I know if I got a cold call from a realtor and I was considering selling and, you know, they said, why don't I come check? Why don't I come check your house out on Thursday? First thing I would do when I hung up that phone would be check out their Instagram. So for me, it's kind of like a resume. Um, I like mixing the personal and the professional because the personal photos are what do the best on it. 
the professional ones are just to continue to remind them that, hey, yeah, I'm still in real estate. Um, most real estate agents nowadays, I think, have fairly similar marketing plans. So again, like the way I like to try to differentiate myself is by showing like, hey, I rock on too. I have three cats. Oh, you have cats? So I have cats too, right? Some sort of um, like connecting type factors. Because the only thing that's different between you and the other agents they're interviewing is going to be who you are. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, it definitely um, says a lot more than, you know, I always use the example of a realtor just posting, you know, sold, 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 sold everywhere on their feed. And there's really like nothing to connect with. You don't really like, like see more of them to actually connect with them on a deep level and have them want you maybe have them work for you or something of that nature. You don't really like connect and build a relationship just over social media because you're not even seeing anything that you can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that look like they're kind of run by virtual assistants or bots or something like that, where it's just, you know, it's systematic, like, Hey, come in soon. It's the same house in three photos. It's coming soon, just listed, sold. Right. And it's all in a row. And you're just like, I, I don't know. I, I don't connect with those sites. I'm not a social media expert. There are some agents that I follow that do phenomenal on Instagram. Like they're constantly doing reels. They're constantly doing videos where they're talking to their audience. They're engaging their audience. So may, maybe there is a way to optimize it and, and build leads out of it. Um, I definitely get messages on Instagram. I definitely facilitate a lot of communication on um, Instagram, but I still have yet to have someone I don't know, follow me, reach out and then turn into a client. For sure. For sure. It's fair to say that, you know, you don't, you don't use uh, the internet for say lead generation. That's not your main mm-hmm. goal, but um, you know, obviously as you know, as a realtor that you always have different lead generating companies hitting you up, promising you this, this, and that. Um, have you ever dabbled in one of those and tried one of them out and how did it go for you? Yeah, we, we use a couple. Um, the ones that I do use are, are the ones where you're paying them a portion of the commission if it comes to fruition, right? So they're not making that, you're not buying the lead for, you know, you're not buying 30 leads for a thousand bucks every month or whatever the numbers are. Because once, once you pay them, then, then they don't care the quality of the lead, right? And they're probably handing that lead out to hundreds of agents. So the ones where they actually have some sort of inside sales team um, that I've talked to the people and say, Hey, you know, spoke to so-and-so they're looking for a real estate agent. They want to buy this 25, 35% referral fee attached to it. Here you go. Close it. Right. I'll take those all day long. Um, But the ones where it's like, Hey, you're buying them up front. I've never dabbled in that. For sure. You can Who knows? Maybe they're good. Yeah, no, it's definitely something you'd have to, spot out beforehand and do your research on but again some of them you know there's a lot of just scams out there in general and it's you know it's it's not hard to get caught up in one if you truly you know they make you feel a certain way and you know you take the chance you can get stuck in some you know some bad places and i mean it's not unrealistic i mean i've been scammed before i'm sure maybe you have been scammed before if not you the next person has been scammed before so you know it's a it's not a it's not hard to get caught up in if they make you feel comfortable well you got to say like the, the reason they seem so desirable is because it's the easy way out. You're just going to give me leads and I don't have to, you know, cold call or door knock or run open houses to try to find people. Right. It's a easy way out. So yeah, there's, there's going to be an opportunity that, that it could be a scam. 
Yeah. And, you know, like you said, everyone's just looking for an easy way out. I mean, you, you joined the real estate industry. Um, this is one of the hardest industries of them all. So, I mean, you're just in the wrong place in general, if you're trying to skip a couple steps to find like a quick dollar. Yeah. Um, and with the way home prices are going now, right. You sell four or five homes a year and it's a fairly decent income, but that's not why I personally got into the industry. Right. So it all depends on the individual goals as well. For sure. And speaking of uh, say individual goals, where, where do you find yourself now? You know, you're um, how, how many years in the business, six to eight years now? Uh, yeah, seven, seven going on eight, probably so, in April, I think. Cool. So about eight years in the business, where do you see yourself, you know, um, take yourself next into, you know, the, the later thirties of your life? Like, do you plan on maybe building your own team? Do you have any like kind of thoughts around that? Um, yeah. So right now I'm trying to build a team. Um, so it's the, our Shaw Realty Group model, um, allows agents to build leverage within the brokerage. Um, and that's what a lot of seasoned agents need is, is leverage. They don't need training. They don't need, um, you know, to be, have their hand held while they write an offer. They, they've done that before, right? They need leverage. And so that's, that's what's really cool about the brokerage I'm, I'm with right now is it helps facilitate that. Um, so I got three agents that are currently under me. Um, there's a number of agents that we're continuing to reach out to and we're a team-based brokerage. So we're, we're obviously looking for the right culture. We don't just hire everybody. Um, and those agents are, I'm responsible for them. I'm training them. Um, I train them to my standards, how I like to handle my clients. Hired to one of them. I, I know that buyer is going to be taken care of, or that listing is going to be taken care of to the same standards that I have. And then I, I help hold them accountable to their goals. And they're, they're younger. They're, they're kind of, when I got into the business, I would have loved a team leader to kind of do the same for me and, and train me. Like if any realtors watching this and they've done the courses and then they've jumped into real estate after they know the courses, you know, teach you a lot of the fundamentals, but they don't actually teach you how to work in the industry. Right. So for sure. So now you kind of feel like you, you have the opportunity to play a role to give newer agents something maybe you missed out on early in your career. Yeah. Yeah. That like definitely like the training and um, the, the holding accountable and yep. Absolutely. Cool, man. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to one realtor on my last podcast actually, and she said that she actually, um, got coaching just on how to build a team because, you know, business models are so important and, you know, you kind of touched up around business models there, but would you kind of agree that that's like make it or break it? The, you know, the team structure. Um, I wouldn't say again, it depends on the individual goals. Like my, my goal, I don't want to be working weekends until I'm 60. Right. Um, I, I want to be able to come to Costa Rica for three or four months and make sure that, you know, as long as I'm, I can work from here. Um, I have agents that can take care of my, my clients and I can continue to train them and answer emails and find here and kind of have feet on the ground there. Um, so it's just, it, it's all individual goals, but yeah, finding models that, um, that are, have proven success is, is key for, whatever your, your goals are. Right. And, um, 
I have a really good friend. He's an individual agent down in uh, Niagara. And his goals are to work as hard as he possibly can for the next, well, he's been doing it for, I think, about 10 years now. I think he wants to do it another five years. Make as much money as he can. And he's been investing it heavily and then just kind of cold turkey quit real estate and, and uh, just focus on his investments. And that, that's, a, that's a totally cool goal. I just, I don't want to do 70 or 80 transactions personally every year. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it all depends on what your goals are. And um, there are models out there that have proven to be, uh, that have proven to be true and those can be replicated yeah. into kind of each area of life, whatever you want to devote yourself to. Um, you went yeah. to Costa Rica too, though, and something you kind of touched on early on is that you've been uh, you've been surfing. How long have you been surfing? And I'm sure you're surfing out there now, right? Yeah, um, surfing like on and off, you know, four years. But um, it, it, it was kind of more opportunistic surfing. I've I've never gone on a surfing trip or anything, so I'm still very much beginner and very much learning. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> man, to be honest, I've never been in the ocean. But I, I mean, I wouldn't want to be in the ocean. I'm like sharks and stuff. I mean, how do you feel about that surfing out there? <laughs> You'll never see them. <laughs> and and it, you look at it, there's 300 people out there with you, right? So you're like, you're just kind of playing the odds. But um, yeah, I've never, I've never had that worry. There's um, actually, it's a stingray mating season right now. So a lot of times you'll catch a wave and there'll be stingrays kind of surfing next year. And it's just, it's nice to get connected with nature out here and, um, it's been a lot of fun so for sure and i mean i'm sure you feel that you know having the opportunity to just you know even be considering staying out in costa rica for you know a couple months out of each year i mean that's a huge accomplishment on its own so how do you feel about actually reaching a stage in life where you're able to do that because obviously i'm sure it wasn't it wasn't always this way yeah well um it, it's definitely kind of a, a it's been a newer goal and vision for our lives um moving forward uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the technology that's come into real estate. When I first started, you know, a, a seller would counter your buyer's offer and then you'd have to drive it back to the buyer, get him to counter that initial it, and then drive it back to the seller. Um, whereas now it's, it's, you know, you can sign offers virtually. You, we're on Zoom right now. We can have a great conversation. I can share my screen, run you through the MLS. Like so much of the job now can be done virtually. Um, you still definitely need feet on the ground kind of in the areas that you're covering. Um, and I, I think that's where the, the team approach and the, has, has really come in handy for me. For sure, man. The way um, technology um, has advanced just in like times over COVID and how we use it is crazy. I mean, I'm not sure if you um, are familiar in the area of NFTs. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Um, like I've been trying to work through my mind on how those are going to like impact the real estate industry. Like, are you going to be uh, using NFT as like a contract with a, with a place or, I mean, I've, I haven't really kind of came to a conclusion on how that's going to work because I don't think, you know, it's not something I've actually seen yet been used in the real estate industry. So do you think eventually, you know, NFT type contractual agreements are going to come into real estate? Um, possibly like, like, I can see it updating maybe not NFTs, but the whole blockchain technology maybe being utilized in like title registry and stuff like that. 
um, as, as then you're not relying on on an individual city to retain files. You're you're more so oh. relying on on you know the the, the blockchain ledger instead. Um, maybe there's an NFT portion to the house, but I think in terms of real estate, I think the only thing I can continue to envision is like the whole metaverse and you know the buying land and and sandbox or next yeah, to man. Snoop Dogg. Are we gonna be are we gonna be in the like metaverse signing contracts? Are we gonna have to meet up in the metaverse or I don't know. Maybe maybe uh OpenSea will start hiring real estate agents to market out their uh, parcels of land. I don't know. Man, I can't <laughs> believe the the things that are selling on OpenSea. I saw um a post saying an invisible rock sold for a million dollars. Yeah. There is um it, it happens in the real world too. There was uh there was an artist that uh, he sold something that was imaginary and someone bought it for a couple hundred thousand. I'm pretty sure I read it. <laughs> I actually think and, I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. So it happens in the real world too, but people buy invisible stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, if you, ca- you catch a investment early, that does you good in a couple of years. I mean, I guess you just, people, if people got money to waste and if you really want to spend it on a, uh, an imaginary home hey be my guest as long as i still get commission <laughs> yeah, yeah uh tyler man i i really appreciate you coming on man it's been about 40 minutes 45 minutes so um i think it's fair to say we can wrap it up um i appreciate you coming on giving kind of uh i'm glad we got to talk about rock climbing actually because you know i haven't even talked to someone who <laughs> rock climbs before but i actually have watched videos on that so i find it pretty interesting um but yeah man i'm glad to hear about your journey and um, the Costa Rica thing blows my mind, man. That's such a like a huge accomplishment for you. So like, I really congratulate you on that, you and your fiance. And um, I just want to wish you the best, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out and um, keep it up. I've been listening to a bunch of your podcasts once you reached out. So uh, yeah, you got something good going on. Keep it, keep it going. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, one day in the future, if this is ever in person, man, I'd love to connect with you in person and uh, maybe we'll have another conversation. Cool. Sounds good, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Have a good rest of the day, man, and keep working hard. You as well. Enjoy your Friday. See you, man.